Hi, I'm Joaquin Evans, co-senior leader of Bethel Austin. I pray that Jesus ministers to you through today's message and that you are blessed deeply. If you're encouraged, please like and subscribe so you can stay up to date with all of our weekly sermons. Enjoy the message. Almost sounded like a nightmare for a moment there. A sermon on repeat. I, I was, I was going to apologize to whoever it was. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. Well, happy birthday, Bethel. Happy birthday. You know, Jacob went to the city of Lutz and changed the name to Bethel. Bethel means house of God. Lutz means almonds. So Bethel, remember, you were a house of nuts before you were a house of God. <laughs> And I've got a sense there's still a few nuts left, so. <laughs> I know that from my own experience. We have, we have many nuts, fruits and nuts. We have another one. That's, I, I better stop right there. <laughs> oh, goodness, so, so fun to be with you guys. I have another Texas. You know, these things, things that you read... I don't only read them in Texas, but I read them with extra joy in Texas. <laughs> Governor of California is jogging with his dog along a nature trail. Coyote jumps out, attacks the governor's dog, then bites the governor. The governor starts to intervene, but reflects upon the movie Bambi, then realizes he should stop because the coyote is only doing what is natural. He calls animal control. Animal control captures the coyote, bills the state $200, testing it for diseases, $500 for relocating it. He calls a veterinarian. The vet collects the dead dog, bills the state $200, testing it for diseases. The governor goes to the hospital, spends $3,500 getting checked for diseases from the coyote, and on getting his bite wound bandaged. The running trail gets shut down for six months while Fishing Game conducts a $100,000 survey to make sure the area is now free of dangerous animals. <laughs> the governor spends 50000 in state funds implementing a coyote awareness program for <laughs> residents of the area. State legislature spends $2 million to study how to better treat rabies and how to permanently eradicate the disease throughout the world. The governor's security agent is fired for not stopping the attack. The state spends $150,000 to hire and train a new agent with additional special training regarding the nature of coyotes. <laughs> Peter protests the coyotes' re relocation, files a $5 million suit against the state. <laughs> Texas. <laughs> the governor of Texas is jogging with his dog along a nature trail. A coyote jumps out of Texas' dog. The governor shoots the coyote with his state-issued pistol and keeps jogging. The governor has spent 50 cents on a 45 caliber hollow point cartridge. The buzzards eat the dead coyote. And that, my friends, is why California is broke, Texas is not. Welcome to America, yeah, yeah. 
I have my passport with me, just in case anything happens. I, I really do. <laughs> oh, goodness. I, I can read one more, right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've got to, actually. Oh, there it is. All right. An old geezer who had been a retired farmer for a long time became, a, became very bored, decided to open a medical clinic. He put a sign up outside that said, Dr. Geezer's Clinic, get your treatment for $500. If you're not cured, you get back $1,000. Dr. Young, who was a real doctor, was positive this old geezer didn't know anything about medicine, thought this would be a great chance to make $1,000. So he went to Dr. Geezer's Clinic, and this is what happened. Dr. Geezer, I have lost all the taste in my mouth. Can you please help me? Dr. Geezer turns to the nurse. Please bring medicine from box 22. Put three drops into Dr. Young's mouth. Dr. Young yells out, ah, this gasoline. Congratulations, you have your taste back. <laughs> that will be $500. <laughs> Dr. Young gets annoyed, goes back after a couple of days trying to figure out how to recover his money. He walks in, he says, I've lost my memory. I cannot remember anything. Dr. Geezer turns to the nurse, please bring medicine from box 22, put three drops in the patient's mouth. <laughs> Dr. Young yells out, oh no you don't, that's gasoline. Congratulations, you got your memory back. That will be $500. <laughs> Dr. Young, having lost $1,000, leaves mad, comes back after several more days. He walks in, he says, my eyesight has become weak, I can hardly see. Dr. Geezer says, well, I don't have any medicine for that, so here's your $1,000 back. He looks at it, he says, hey, this is only $500. Congratulations, you have your eyesight back. <laughs> That'll be $500. All right, all right. Well. <laughs> I just think that's funny. All right. I shared uh, some thoughts with uh, our own church family at home uh, last week that I felt this morning when I got up, I, I actually should uh, run over some of the stuff here with you. And um, so open your Bibles to the book of Numbers, if you would, Numbers chapter 13. I love the Old Testament. I love the stories of the Old Testament. I, in fact, for years, I, I probably taught 80% of the time out of the Old Testament. Um, I, I, I love it so much, and today we're going to look at the spies going into the promised land. I, I love the stories because they they're, they're, uh, they're, it's like remedial reading. The lessons are really clear. You know, David and Goliath, that's a clear lesson. I, it, it's a, there's a reason it's a child's story is because it's so easy to, to catch what God is saying in that moment. And um, Romans 15, Paul said these things, referring to the Old Testament, these things were written in earlier times for our instruction. The only Bible the New Testament church, the early church had was the Old Testament. And they studied it because the Old Testament is filled with 
prophetic imagery and insights regarding the new covenant. The gospel is all through the Old Testament. And so I love these stories. And when you see the story of Israel entering the promised land, it's not a picture of going to heaven. It's a picture of stepping into the reality of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the king's domain. Anything he has dominion over, his, his realm of rulership is manifest in that area. That's why you'll see in Matthew 12, 28, it says, Jesus said, if I cast a demon out of you by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So there was darkness ruling. The kingdom, the king's rule came and collided with darkness. The darkness had to go. It's a, it's a nice graphic picture of what the kingdom looks like. The kingdom of God in uh, Romans is described as uh, righteousness, peace, and joy. The kingdom of God is not meat or drink. It's not natural stuff. It's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is in the realm of the Spirit. Anywhere the Spirit of the Lord demonstrates the liberty provided for by Jesus, the kingdom becomes realized. And so the entrance into the promised land is actually a story a very graphic story of us entering into the realms of God's dominion where the enemies are chased out, where we take possession of what God's called us to take possession of. Moses sent 12 spies into the promised land to check it out. He took key leaders, one from every tribe. He took respected key leaders and sent them to go in and catch a glimpse of what they were about to inherit. And they came back with a a different story. And that's what we're going to step into and uh, see if we can learn something that will help us today. Because I I, I feel like, you know, the church is in such a crazy place of transition. Crazy is probably the wrong, no, it's the right word. (laughs) Never mind, it's crazy. Um, Interesting place of transition. Uh, very challenging on one hand and very promising on the other. Uh, That the Lord, whenever he gives you a promise, he's actually stepped into your future and he's given you a word that will be necessary to get you to your future. He he talks to you from the future and he says, come. And he gives you a promise and he gives you actually a weapon, a tool to get you there. Paul talked about that. He He said, fight this fight of faith with the prophecies previously given to you. So what he's saying is, you're here, where I want you to go is there, but there's a battle in between. And the tool that you need to get you from where you are to where you're supposed to go is is the Word itself. The Word is what you need to be able to get you to where God has designed you to be. And uh, if we we understand uh, more clearly, I pray this happens for all of us, understand more clearly the power of His Word we would probably declare it more often. Because he actually said, speak to the mountains. So it's a crazy thing that he wants us talking to mountains. These these huge obstacles to destiny. He wants us to speak to those things because that's how they're they're removed. We sometimes make the mistake of thinking we can say whatever we want and it will remove a mountain. The best thing to do is to hear what the Father is saying and then say what he's saying. Because that's where the power of Jesus was released, was in his hearing what the Father was saying, doing what the Father was doing. But every one of us were designed for more. I'm I'm thankful we're standing today in the more that was promised yesterday. 
And so that's, that's wonderful news. But there is still more. And he's designed us for this. He's created in us a, a, an appetite. Appetite is a gift from God. Appetite is a gift. It's something that, that, that uh, inspires us to sacrifice and to, to do everything we can to get us from point A to point B. So I want you to take a, we're going to bounce around the story a little bit. And, uh, and then let me just talk to you for a while, all right? We're going to start uh, Numbers chapter 13, verse 27. We'll jump right in the middle of the story. Then they told him, saying, we went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified, very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Parasites. They all dwell in the mountains. The Canaanites dwell by the sea along the banks of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once, take possession, for we are well able to overcome. Let's stop right there for uh, just to grab one phrase. Caleb is one of the two. I don't, I don't know how many uh, children of Israel there were. Some estimate maybe two million uh, Jews came out of Egypt into the, into the wilderness. And out of, let's just say, two million for illustration's sake, only two of them made it into the promised land. Only two of them actually entered. Picture this. God comes to a group of people. He says, that's your land. I'm giving it to you. You will certainly inherit it. And then they don't inherit it. Oftentimes, people make the statement, well, if God wants it to happen, it's going to happen. Well, that's just not always true. It's just not true. God's not willing that any should perish, but people are perishing. So to assume he's going to force his way, the will of God is actually represented in two different words in the New Testament. One, the will of God is a word that basically means it's absolute, it's established, it's going to happen. You vote yes, you vote no, it doesn't matter. I mean, Jesus is going to return. You can vote yes. You, it, it, maybe it's not even in your theology. It doesn't matter. He's still coming back. You know, you, we don't get to vote. But there's another aspect of his will that what you and I do has everything in the world to do with what actually happens. Now, he's God. He can, you know, he can make anything happen he wants. But the point is, is he's created us as co-laborers where our role actually has influence on the outcome of things. And so he promises two million people, that's your land, I'm giving it to you. You will certainly inherit it. And then they don't, except for two people. Uh, there are many who say, well, God's just not fair. He didn't, he didn't bring about what he promised. Larry Randolph helped us with this so many years ago, helped me a lot. He said, God will fulfill all of his promises, but he's not ob obligated to fulfill our potential. And some of the promises God gives us are invitations into potential. This passage, Caleb stands up and he says, let's go in and take possession at once. And I've, I've actually experienced, uh, I experienced delayed obedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. You finally get some common sense and you obey God, but the amount of power released in the act of obedience is diminished. You have your conscience is eased because you did what he said, but you don't see the impact that God had intended. Quick obedience is where the greatest power is demonstrated. 
it's, it's a good point, Bill. It's, uh, just, just don't quit. Whatever you do, just don't quit. All right. All right, so verse 30 again, Caleb quieted the people before Moses and he said, let us go up at once and take possession for we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. They gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out saying, the land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants. The descendants of Anna came from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. You know, I wish, I wish this wasn't the case. But the easiest thing to find in this world is bad news. You actually have to work to find good news. Bad news sells. You know, how many of you watched uh, 9-11 just glued to your TV to see what happened? I, we, we just stuck there all day long, just in the next day and the next day. In fact, we got cable at the church to, right there so that we could sit at the church and watch. It's not a wrong thing. It's just bad news sells. And the same thing happens in the body of Christ where bad news sells. The, the surest way to have a YouTube video become, you know, spread all over the earth is to prophesy bad news. If you have hope, you're delusional. Unrealistic. There's two different realities and one's greater than the other. One reality is based on the bad news and the other is based on the good news. Perhaps it's the reason why Paul said in Romans 12, he said, prophesy according to your faith. Which explains why there's so many bad words. <laughs> Low faith produces poor prophetic words. You know, let's be honest, people know stuff's in a mess. Prophesying a mess doesn't help anyone. Prophesying solutions creating hope. This isn't a message on the prophetic, but here we've got 10 spies that come back with bad news. And these 10 were able to persuade 2 million people. And what they persuaded them to do is miss your promise and die in a wilderness. The outcome of feeding themselves on the bad report. Instead of what God had promised. We're not talking about, you know, delusional people that don't uh, recognize rea the reality of a, of, of a problem. Real faith doesn't deny the existence of a problem. Real faith just doesn't let the problem have a place of influence. It doesn't get to dominate my thoughts, doesn't get to dominate my plans, my vision. Sometimes we become so overwhelmed. I, I've got to be careful here because I can be too easily misunderstood, but sometimes we become so overwhelmed by the size of a problem that we think our pain is intercession. It's true. Difficulty brings a grief and a burden. There's no question. But you're not done with your prayer until you have hope. Yeah. Yeah. 
You're, you're, not, you're, done, you're not done with the process until you can see the promised land. The whole point is you've got to pray yourself into a place of faith. If you stop short of that, you'll constantly pray the problem instead of the solution. You'll constantly prophesy the problem instead of prophesy the solution. And the church is filled with 10 spies. It's not you, it's them other places around town. <laughs> I, I, I know that you are the two spies. <laughs> it's critical that we protect ourselves from the well-meaning bad counsel of friends. These were, these were 10 strong, highly respected leaders by Israel and by Moses himself who chose them because they were strong and capable. Sometimes a leader finds favor and we empower them and when we empowered them, we didn't realize we just equipped them to rob hope from the people of God. Continuously walking in hope is one of the most responsible and mandatory things we have as the people of God. Any area of our life for which we have no hope is under the influence of a lie. All right, well, that went over well. Let's move on <laughs> to chapter 14. <laughs> I, I guess maybe a clue in verse 33 it says, We were like grasshoppers in our own sight. Hopelessness changes your view of you. I don't know that we're ever supposed to be, you know, I, I'm not looking for us to have some egotistical group of people that are impressed with themselves. That's not grace. Grace is I'm, I'm more impressed with his abounding strength than I am my abounding weakness. Yes. It's where is my confidence going to be? It's not in my capacity, my capability. It's not in my gifts. It's not in, being in my call in the sense that I can produce something. It's the fact that he is more than enough for me. All right, chapter 14, verse 1 says, And the congregation lifted up their voices and cried. The people wept that night. Uh, I've got to be careful once again. As a pastor, you know, you see people weeping in the middle of a problem. The first thing we want to do is comfort them, and that's, right. that's absolutely right. Uh, we, we console, we comfort. I, I, don't, I don't care if they just were stupid and stabbed themselves. I'm still going to give them comfort. You know, we'll talk later about being careless with a knife, but right now you're in pain, so I want to bring healing to the situation. But here's another aspect. Not all weeping is because the person was violated or mistreated. Sometimes weeping is because you got caught being stupid. I probably could have said that better, but you, you, got, the, you got the point. You got the point. That was all right, that, that passed, yeah, all right, all right. Sometimes, sometimes you're crying 
And everybody around you will console you, massage your ego, and do everything that you want them to do because we're a compassionate people. But sometimes we just prolong the pain because we empower people to live in their stupidity. <laughs> they wept all night. Why? Probably because they're shipwrecked in their heart. They had hopes of a promised land, and now they're more impressed in the giants than they are the promise. And that's not, I, I'm not pointing a finger at them like those dumb people. I'm pointing a finger at me like, oh, Jesus, please help me. Because it's really easy for me to become impressed with the size of the giants. See, the, the real issue is, 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 is if I become overly impressed, overly focused on the strategy, the accomplishments, the bad reports, whatever, that the, that the enemy has provided, the more impressed I become, the more I am prone to live in reaction to the devil instead of response to the Father. Jesus responded to the Father. That's the way he did life. He didn't react to the devil. There are entire ministries, there are entire program, or 90% of the program is set up by the reaction to the devil. And it feels semi-gratifying because you, you have a purpose and you've got, a, you're in warfare and you're all, you, you know, you're doing all this stuff. But the problem is, is the enemy is influencing your agenda. Yeah. You're, you're shadow boxing, you're doing all the externally the right stuff, but your energies are being spent not in carrying out what the father's doing, but are reacting to what the devil is doing. Uh, the picture I, I get, it may seem silly to you, but the picture I get is like, you know, we, we've got a, a, we're on the field, we've got a football game going, and then the enemy's off the sidelines, he's not even on the, on, the, on the playing field, he's over there with the football, and we are impressed with what he's doing, and we leave the real game to go engage with him on the sidelines. Tackling, blocking, doing all the stuff we think is, is important, but it's not even the game. When Jesus said, go into all the world, go means you have the ball. <laughs> the devil may have a ball, but it's not the game ball. Thanks, I'm trying. I'm working, I'm working hard. <laughs> Verse 2, it says, all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. If God inhabits my praise, who inhabits my complaints? If God inhabits my praise, who inhabits my complaints? The point is, words are houses. Strongholds are created through, through speech, oftentimes through speech and repeated behavior. And um, Proverbs says, uh, speaks of, uh, of people that are in real bondage, and it says this phrase, it says, strongholds in which they trust. Strongholds in which they trust. So that tells me you can discover the strongholds of an area by where people put their trust instead of God. But then the scripture also teaches that the Lord is a stronghold in which people trust. 
How many would rather have Jesus living in your castle than, uh, you know, some critter, you know? And that's, that's the lesson here. But let's get on down to the, uh, what I, I think to be a primary lesson here in this story. <clears throat> Moses and Aaron, verse 5, fell on their faces <clears throat> before all the assembly of the congregation of Israel. Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. They spoke to the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, the land we passed through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. He's, he's given them another chance. I want you to be impressed with the size of the promise. You can forsake the lie you've been fed. You've been feeding your soul on something inferior. And I want to declare to you truth once again, because I'm going to give you a chance to forsake what has soothed your soul. It's strange to me, but, but we have, sometimes have this bent to encourage ourselves with bad news. I know that doesn't sound right, but, but listen to me. If you've been raised in a religious culture, Christian culture, that things are going to get worse and worse, then bad news is just an affirmation we're in the last days. And there's this weird comfort we get from knowing Jesus could come back at any time. Now, that's the blessed hope and absolutely need to keep that rock solid. But he's returning for a bride, not a jigsaw puzzle of a bride. He's not, he's not returning for something he has to put, back, you know, put together when he gets, gets her home to heaven. A friend of mine used to say, he's coming back for a bride right now. She's got her hair up in rollers, so I don't know how that... <laughs> she, she, she's not quite ready, but... Uh. So he comes with this word. They, they come with this word that the land we pass through, verse 7, is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Listen, to, to not embrace a promise is to rebel. Embracing a promise is not about you. It's about him. <laughs> As I heard spoken recently, embracing a promise is not about you. It's about him. Yeah, yeah that was so spontaneous. I'm touched deeply. But think about it. Every one of us stepping into what God has designed us for, God is the one who gets glorified. I mean, nobody in your right mind is going to give you and me credit. Did you know the scripture actually teaches that there's a fear of God that comes from the blessing of the Lord? It actually, in Hosea 3.5, says something like this, how Israel is going to fear the Lord because of his goodness. Well, let's be honest here. If, if the goodness is... Uh, a $3 an hour raise at work, that's great, but it's not going to strike fear to a city. It's going to have to be something much more extreme, so extreme that people would never be tempted to give you credit for it. Where God reveals himself as the God of a group of people. And it brings them to fear. Now, 
there's two kinds of fear in the Bible. There's a fear that drives people away, and there's a fear that endears people too. But it still is a fear. The fear of God is not just a gentle respect. <laughs> if you think that, you've got some surprises coming. <laughs> but that fear of God is something to protect because it endears us to him. All right, let's get to the heart of what I wanted to tell you. <clears throat> verse 9, <clears throat> uh, verse 8, the Lord delights in us. He will bring us into this land, will give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. <clears throat> Samson was attacked by a lion. And he killed it. And it says he walked by the carcass of that lion sometime later. And he looked and inside the carcass of the lion was honey. And he took the honey out and he began to eat it. And he took some to his mom and his dad, his family. He and his family were nourished out of the carcass of what he defeated. Your food is in the battle, not before the battle. Many people want to get prepared for a conflict, and God says your preparation is in the conflict. The nourishment, what is, what is food? The, it's, it's, it's that which nourishes you in the midst of a conflict. I, I, I think in terms of I want to get myself all ready and psyched up because I'm going into the situation I've got to be able to endure. And he says, no, the strength is actually you'll find it in the carcass of the first enemy you defeat. I had a hunting dog, um, German short hair pointer, for those of you that care. Which in Texas is higher number than uh, in California. I had this hunting dog and he was, he wasn't possessed. <laughs> Chris thinks he was, but uh, but 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 he he, he wasn't. He uh, he needed a sozo, but <laughs> but he wasn't he wasn't possessed. But that dog honestly lived to hunt. And I got him like eight weeks old, and I had this wing of a pheasant that a pheasant graciously donated to my tra training procedure. <laughs> And I tied the wing on the end of this fishing line on the end of a, of a fishing pole. And I'm out in the front yard, and my dog's just running around. I just got him. And I took this uh, fishing pole with a wing on the end, and he's over here just smelling around. And I put it out in front of him, and he turns his head towards that wing. He smells it. He lifts his front paw. He points at it. And then he looks up at me like, not sure why I have the urge to do this. <laughs> it was the strangest thing. And to, and to watch this animal work he, as he had just run back and forth through a field trying to catch the scent of, of a game bird. And uh, it, was, it was fascinating to watch. I, I, he had months and months of training. And uh, he, he should have gotten a doctorate degree by as much money as I spent for him to get trained. But, <clears throat> But I remember one time, one of the times, I, one of the first times I took him hunting without the trainer. I'd take, go with the trainer to learn how he handled the dog. And, 
And the, I think it was the first time I took him without the trainer. My buddy and I are out there. There's a field. There's pheasant. We're ready to go um, take pictures of pheasants as they fly away. Not, not really. <laughs> yeah, I'm in Texas. That's all right. 12 gauge. 12 gauge blessing. Yes. It's an outreach. It reaches out. I have a t-shirt that says, if God wanted us to be vegetarians, he would have made broccoli more fun to shoot at. <laughs> okay, bring it back, Bill. Bring it back. All right. That's what I'm, I'm in Texas. I can... So I take him out this, this first time, and uh, my buddy and I are there, and we open the kennels in the back of our, my vehicle, open the kennel, he gets out, and we're ready to go out into the field. And he goes under, under a trailer and lays down. I thought, this is the most high-energy animal I've ever seen in my life. He is he's excessive. He's extreme. I can sit in my house, honestly, have a shotgun shell in my pocket, and bring it out slowly like this. And he'll sit out of the corner of his eye and start running around the room. I mean, he's just, he's just freaky. But... I take him hunting, and there's pheasant, and he's under the trailer sleeping. He just lays down. So when the day was over, it was a pain in the neck day. It wasn't a good hunting day because the dog wouldn't cooperate. And I got home, and I called the trainer. I said, hey, Dick, I said, the strangest thing today. I, I, took, I took Rez out. Rez was his name, named after the Rez band. Sorry, Rez band. Forgive me for diminishing your value by naming a dog after you, but a uh, band from years ago. And uh, anyway, I, I called, I said, Rez, uh, Rez just didn't hunt. He wouldn't hunt. He went and laid under the trailer. And he said, that's strange. And so he, we talked together. He says, you didn't feed him before you went hunting, did you? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I wanted him to have energy while he hunted. He goes, oh, no, you, you only hunt the dog hungry. put it this way in in the 23rd Psalm. It says he sets up a banqueting table before me in the presence of my enemies. He puts us into the conflict hungry. Satisfied people don't get much done. Satisfied people enjoy Egypt. Hunger is a gift. He lets you see what you don't have, not to frustrate you, but to bring significance out of your soul. And here we got this, this, what ended up to be these giants that the 10 spies became so impressed with, the news of those large beings kept 2 million people out of their inheritance. And yet to see that situation, the way the Lord sees it, the giants were their bread. 
the, the giants were where they would be fed. They, they lived with the realization that they were ill-equipped to face this army. And that's absolutely true. The Lord admits that later. In fact, he said, he, he said Israel, I chose you not because you were great, but because you were insignificant. You were few in number. You were few as far as uh, character and weak, uh, weakness, all of that. I that's why I chose you. And so lest you get a big head on why you got chosen. <laughs> Remember, house of nuts, house of God. Remember, just don't ever forget that. We've not just been invited into a realm of impossibilities. We've been commanded to enter a realm of impossibilities. And it's so easy to reduce. I, I mentioned last night, we tend, to, we tend to define our ministries by what we're good at because it, it helps us to feel a certain measure of control. Define our ministries by what we're good at instead of what we're called to do. What you're called to do gives you access to pursue the gifts you need to manifest your assignment full, uh, and fulfill it. it. It gives you an invitation in a secret place to contend for certain things to be manifest in and through you because you need it to fulfill your, your call. And he doesn't always call us by what, by what we're good at. That's the truth. It's absolutely the truth. There are two things I despised more than anything else growing up. One was talking in front of people. <laughs> and the other was writing. God tends to assign us so that we actually discover his strength instead of our own. It doesn't mean he can't use what we're gifted at. I think that's his desire. But we have to come into such a place of humility and dependency. Otherwise, success in what I'm good at will only boost my ego, only boost my confidence in me. Israel was presented with an opportunity to enter something that was so significant and so overwhelmingly impossible that they chose to die in a wilderness without rather than risk everything to enter. And they didn't see it the way God saw it. They didn't see it the way the two men of faith saw See, faith sees. Faith sees. The two men of faith saw it as, that's dinner. See that big guy right there? That's dinner. They are our bread. Winning there gives us access to the honey in the carcass. Winning there gives us access to the banqueting table in the presence of enemies. Winning there gives us access to bread that nourishes us to divine purpose. And Bethel, five years. It's awesome. I, I, uh, I was telling Joaquin this morning, I remember when I pastored in Weaverville, a community in Northern California, there for 17 years. I remember very specifically at the five-year mark is when the breakthrough began. Wow. It was, I, 
I, I never realized how significant calendars were to God. I don't, you, you have to be blind because it's all through the Bible, but it's, it, I just, it just didn't matter, you know, seasons, all that stuff. But I, something started to happen where I, I could see that calendars and dates and numbers and these things actually mattered to the Lord. And I could see that five-year mark. I saw it in Reading when we went to Bethel. At five years, things began to change and turn very significantly. And so I, I feel like just saying, happy birthday, Bethel. Uh, you, you have weathered storms. You've tasted great victories, great triumphs. You've got great promise. The next time they sent spies into the promised land, they didn't send 12, they sent two. It's a lot easier to get two in agreement than it is to get 12 in agreement. Amen. Listen to the few. You'll never, uh, probably shouldn't use the word never, but I'm going to anyway. You'll never be persuaded into great faith by the masses. You've got to have an ear for the word that comes from the Lord. It will generally come from the few. All right, I think I'm done. Why don't you stand? They are our bread. You've got uh, some challenges in front of you, like the rest of us. Withdrawing from a challenge means you're going to face other circumstances that you don't have grace for. Let me rephrase it this way, as has been taught so beautifully that King David was on a rooftop. And the Bible says he was there when in the, in the season, in the time that kings go out to war. But he was on the rooftop and he gazed at Bathsheba. You know, the story falls into immorality, has the husband killed. Horrible story. When you're not in the war you were designed for, you'll enter situations you have no grace for. The strength is actually in the fight. And we sometimes avoid things that are right in front of us thinking that will protect us. It's the opposite. My protection is in the fight. Amen. I just want a closing prayer and then I'll turn it over to Pastor Joaquin. Um, I want to I pray for us all. <laughs> I wish I could say I want to pray for you. Actually, I want to pray for me and I'll include you. <laughs> 
I want to I ask the Lord to release a grace, almost like, almost like a blanket of grace, tangible that you could sense and feel, that would rest upon us in a new way, a fresh way, and that grace would be supernatural courage. You, you, you may be a, have a quiet personality. Quiet personality does not mean weak faith. Don't think you have to be boisterous to be bold in faith. Father, I'm asking that you'd release that grace, that blanket that, that would rest upon this body of believers for their future. A grace of supernatural courage. And that we could see what you see. We could see giants as bread. We could discover the honey in the carcass of our past victories. That we'd be nourished. And have a shift in how we think and how we see and how we value the given moments. Some of great blessing, encouragement, some of great challenge. But I pray that there would be a corporate anointing and a corporate grace upon this church body that you've raised up in this hour and let it be with courage to find bread in the battle. I ask this for the honor of the name Jesus. Everybody said amen. Amen. Bless you, bless you. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit BethelATX.com.